Welcome back to the fantasy and the adventure, to the mystery and the intrigue, the nightmares and the dreams. Episode 19. Boggart, Slagrit, and Eek. Part 2. Hazel Peachwood can't take her eyes off of Boggart fully think. Off the satchel strung across his chest, off that effervescent glow, that sign of fairies, that token of lilt blossoms. What's in your satchel? Whoa! How much wax is clogging up your ears, Ghost Mouse? Is there a fairy in your satchel? A sharp tension falls over the trio of goblins. What can Hazel know about the fairy? And who is she to ask such questions? Orphans have never, not ever, been so brazen-faced in the presence of goblins. Fairy? What fairy? Goblins don't consort with fairies. Then why do you have one in your satchel? Boggart licks his teeth, his frustrations and exasperations turning into something else, something more sinister. What do you care about fairies, Goldschmouse? I care a whole lot, especially if it's the fairy from Cobbler's Gulch. Boggart's lips curl into a wicked smile. I ain't got no fairy in my satchel. I got something much, much better. He sheathes his cutlass and slips a bottle from his satchel. It glows white hot and glimmers with flashes of blue and gold. What I got. What we got. Yeah, what we got. You know what I meant. What we got is fairy dust. And we were on our way to get more when... The sack on the wheelbarrow. Whomever, whatever, or whichever is in the sack lets out a whimper. <laughs> and Slagrit brandishes his bludgeon and crosses to the wheelbarrow. Hush up that belly aching. Giving the sack a few smacks. <laughs> Hazel's orphan brothers are scared silent practically petrified. <laughs> I'll mess your right ear into your left ear and I'll mess up everything in between. As the whimpering quiets, Slagrit's eyes lock onto the bottle in Boggart's hands. Eek's eyes do the same. Yeah. Boggart, let's have a pole. Yes, just a nipper. We're running low. We're almost to the cars. Watch your tongue. Oh, the trio look at the orphans who are hanging on their every word, their every movement, their every thought. What are all meant to say is that we're almost to where it is what we're going. Maybe you're right. I am, I am. He is, he is. All right, let's finish the bottle. Boggart yanks the cork from the bottle, a cork that's been fashioned to look like a skull, though it may very well be a skull. It's difficult to say with goblins. Boggart takes a long pull from the bottle, then hands it to Slagrit, who takes an equally long pull, before handing it to Eek, who matches them, gulp for gulp. With each slurp and lick of the chops, the goblins grunt and groan and mmm and ah. It takes only seconds for the effect to take hold. 
The goblins double over as if they're sick, and then their heads pop up, eyes bulging and jaundiced, their entire carcasses heaving and quaking. Fairy dust makes goblins even nastier than they are normally. And if there's one thing a goblin enjoys, it's being nasty. Nastiness is something that most avoid if they have good sense. In fact, most end up being nasty by accident. A friend forgets your birthday, so you spew some nasty barb his way. Go suck an egg. Unrequited love stokes the flames of jealousy, so you spread nasty gossip. I heard she listens to polka music, and she loves it. I mean, really? A chicken lays a rotten egg, so your hunger makes you cranky, and you thump the chicken upside her beak. It's the negativity that turns one to nastiness. Jealousy, greed, anger. Those feelings cause nasty behavior, and goblins certainly could be jealous, greedy, and angry. But it doesn't always precede their nastiness. Goblins are often nasty for the simple pleasure of being nasty. It's not uncommon to see goblins cut rosebuds from their stems, interfering with an otherwise lovely bloom. Nor is it uncommon to see a goblin wind up and kick a bunny rabbit right in its cottontail. And it's not uncommon, in fact, it's downright regular, to see a goblin spit on a turtle who's slow moving and thus an easy target. No two ways about it. Goblins are nasty and enjoy being so. Fairy dust, unfortunately, amplifies goblins' already nasty dispositions. And these goblins are no exception. They shake their jowls and yop, glaring at the orphans like minotaurs set to charge. <laughs> It'll be cold soon enough. We have to slice up these orphans for kindling. Orphans do make good kindling. Hazel and all the orphans wonder the same thing. How many poor orphans have been sliced up by goblins for kindling? Yes, let's bang him, let him open. You can't burn us up. They completely ignore Hazel, and Boggart grabs Eek and Slagrit by their arms. What's that spell Gretchen taught us for fire? Let me see. Damn. The name Gretchen rattles Hazel's nerves. Something uncanny about it. Something both familiar and mysterious. She shakes off the uncanny feeling and makes another appeal. You can't burn us up. You could burn down the whole forest. So we might. (laughs) (laughs) Hazel's unaware of some important facts when it comes to goblin dealings. A regular goblin, one without a belly full of fairy dust, can be impeded when it comes to nastiness, since a goblin is not terribly bright. A little fancy talking can twist up a goblin's simple-mindedness and allow an otherwise nasty turn to be evaded. But goblins with a belly full of fairy dust? Well, they go mad. And if there's ever anything that is true always and forever, it is this. You cannot reason with madness. What's that spell, you dolts? I have it. A gust of wind, a burst of heat, the fault tongue of a slippery lawyer. Spirits of the dead build us a great big... A great plume of smoke explodes before the goblins. And as the smoke wafts away, it reveals a snake coiled up, its forked tongue flicking out of its mouth. Who are you? 
Me? I'm not a snake, if that's what you're asking. He's lying, isn't he? Definitely. I wouldn't know. The snake seems to shrug, despite its lack of shoulders. Boggart grabs the snake just below its head and squeezes. The snake's eyes bulge when Boggart shakes it at Slagger. You got the spell wrong. It isn't the soul of a liar that we need. Boggart swings the snake over his head again and again before flinging it out into the darkness. Try that spell again. Let's get these orphans ablaze before the dust in our bellies runs its course. But if you burn down the forest, the the fairies will burn down with it. And then... And then where would you get your fairy dust? Eek snarls and creeps toward Hazel, poking her with his fingers to punctuate his nasty words. Don't talk to us, the fairies, you little gulch mouse. We'll be setting you ablaze first. What's that spell? Eek pokes Hazel one last time and then whirls around. Spirits of the dead, hear us now. With wind and heat and a patch of briar, rain down on our heads. A great big fire! Another great plume of smoke explodes before the goblins, this time revealing a great briar patch that scratches and claws at goblins and orphans alike. The goblins groan and argle bargle, hacking up the briar until it's nothing but tinder and scratching. Watch that cursed spell! We'll all freeze to death before any of you silly goblins whip up a fire. The fire's coming soon enough, Goatsmouse, and we'll be holding the flames to your little piggy's face. Boggart paces. Eek and Slagrit pace in line behind him. The spell, the spell, the spell. What were those words? The goblins work themselves into a fit. It never occurs to them that another method would do just as well to dispose of the orphans. The plate-backed woogle wiggles a bit, the three rows of pyramid plates that run from its crown to its tail rattling like bones. This startles the contents of the sack on the flatbed wagon because whimpers and whines resound again, this time louder and only slightly less unintelligible. (laughs) Whomever, whatever, or whichever is filling that sack is making it clear that it does not want to be filling that sack. Slagrit notes the displeasure of the sack's contents, whom, what, or whichever it is, and scurries over to dole out another few whacks with his bludgeon. Eek's eyes bulge and the craze of the fairy dust seems to go from him for a moment. We can set them ablaze. Gretchen will have our heads. Gretchen. That name again. Gretchen. Oh, now that how thick do you think I am? Slagrit turns toward Boggart and Eek to reassure them in a conspiratorial sort of way. Oh, now what Gretchen would do if we roasted these rats? Then why would you say it? Because they don't know that I won't. Ah. The tension in Eek's grimy face softens, as much as is possible for a goblin. And then it returns to its crazed, fairy-dusted mania. All right, then. The spell! I have it. Then cast it. We've a whole hold of orphans to build up. Boggart raises his hands high overhead as if to summon the heavens. Brimstone and burn, char and scorch. Deliver unto us a fiery torch. A third plume of smoke bursts forth and wafts away to indeed reveal a burning torch. Hovering in the air like a flaming tusk. 
Margaret plucks the torch from the air, and all three of them turn their eyes on Hazel. Three sets of goblin eyes. Wicked, sinister eyes. All with plans to make an orphan girl sizzle and smoke. Eek stoops to pick up the bottle of fairy dust that's been dropped at their feet. Before we start this fire, let's finish off the bottle. And so they do, even breaking the bottle open so as to lick every drop from the glass shards. Their nastiness sinks to an even lower low. They become all appetite and no brains. And this is bad for Hazel, because she still believes she can outsmart the goblins. But a creature operating on no smarts can't be outsmarted any more than a game of poker can be won by playing spades. Speak your final word, Ghostmouse. Boggart jabs the torch at Hazel. The flames singe the fibers of her burlap dress, and it suddenly seems likely that these might indeed be her last words. For a moment, she has none. Words, that is. And this is odd, because last words are something of a tradition in Cobbler's Gulch. Wondering what one's last words would be, or could be, or should be, is common practice, since one's final syllables are etched into one's tomb or headstone. There have been many common last words. Ouch. So long. That's not a dragon. I feel fine. And so on. Hazel's long hoped her last words would be words of kindness, of peace. But they are not. At least the words she's about to speak are not. What are you doing? Fight! Don't just stand there. Fight! They're gonna burn you alive! Fight! Fight for yourselves! Fight! All of the orphans, though, stand transfixed by the fire in their own fear unable to really even hear Hazel's charge. All of them but Zip, that is. Zip hears Hazel. Fight for who? For myself? For for me? For me. A melting feeling softens Zip's chest. The fear goes away, and for the first time, he feels like he has an idea about who he is. And who he is, is a friend. A friend who would very much like to continue being a friend to Hazel and all of his orphan brothers. And so he turns himself deliberately into a pail of water. The slosh of the contents therein jostles Elwood from his trance and he picks up the pail and douses the torch just as the goblin sets the hem of Hazel's dress ablaze. The shock of the bath stuns all three goblins, and the image of soggy goblins brings a brilliant smile to each of the orphans. And they all look on Zip, who is now an empty pail of water with all the reverence. Before any of the goblins can get out so much as a we'll fillet you for that gulch mouse, Zip turns from an empty pail of water into a giant porcupine. So large that he creates an impassable barrier between the goblins and all the other orphans. When the goblins try to climb past him, his quills pierce their ratty garments and hold them aloft. Argle-bargle is all the nasty little buggers can get out. (laughs) Hazel's face lights up. Zip, you are amazing! And with that, Zip shoots a quiver of giant porcupine quills into the side of the cliff face. And now the orphans are no longer trapped by the dead end of a towering cliff face, but rather standing at the foot of an impromptu ladder. The goblins struggle to free themselves from the impalement of Zip's quills. Come on! Down the cliff we go! You mean up the cliff we go. And with that, 
the orphans, less zip, climb from one quill to the next. Every third or fourth quill requires quite a stretch. In fact, a leap for Lump and Squish, but they all manage to haul themselves to the top of the cliff. Once they're safe, Zip turns from the giant porcupine into a bubble that floats to the top of the cliff before, at last, popping. When he pops, he spritzes to the ground and once again turns back to his regular self. And the orphans are safe enough for now. But they can't ignore the fact that they have no idea where they are now, nor where they're going. Thanks for listening. On the next episode, The Babbling Brook. In the meantime, it's not a bad idea to think about the way you change. Are you changing willy-nilly, without any say-so? Without any hand in setting your own sail? Certainly you're going to move from here to there. You're going to change. And some of those changes are inevitable. They can't be helped. Puberty, wrinkles, heartbreak, and gray hair, they come for everybody. But there are other changes out there for you. The ones you yourself will have to call into existence. Ones that require muscle and will, heart and humility. When you make these changes, you're suddenly able to see the curtain that separates the world you're in now from the world you could be in someday. And sure, perhaps you're comfortable right where you're at. But maybe, just maybe, that's only because you haven't gotten close enough to that break in the curtain to see all those delicious mysteries on the other side.